everybody brings like snacks and bottles, and tons of bottles of wine. There's like five of us there, six of us there. We we have enough wine for like a small family for a month. Uh, yeah. For five or six of us. Yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> and and Jen shows up with her. She has the nicest Tupperware you've ever seen in your life. It's it's, a, it's got like clasp and it's got like a carry tote. And I told her I was like, it was like you showed up at, you know with the Ark of the Covenant in Tupperware, yeah. you know. And um, it was cheese. You have to care for your cheese. You have to care for your cheese, your cheesy nibble bits. Yeah. You're listening to What Woke We Say. We believe we are better in community and that all people want to be known. That true authenticity can only be reached through honesty and vulnerability. This is a judgment-free zone and a shame-free space where individuality is encouraged and celebrated. We are your hosts, Sonia Mastic And Jen Kinney. Welcome to a, another episode of What Won't We Say, and today we are interviewing the saucy, awesome Ursula Adams from the Sheehive in Ferndale. Saucy, I like it. Saucy. saucy. This is my first time meeting you. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the Sheehive? So we built it as a place where women can learn to become more self-empowered by actually being in company and conversation with other women that are self-empowered or also learning how to be self-empowered. So. It's a women, we call it a women's empowerment center. Um, and we do it three different ways. So we have coaching. And so we have a whole team of coaches that work out of here, different kinds of coaching. So life coaching, career coaching, all different types of things, uh, therapy. We also have classes. So classes on all facets of wellness. So it's anything from um, how, you know, scientifically how people change to what I call the woogity tarot and astrology. We have stuff on physical wellness. We have um, a lot of stuff on spirituality, um, different types of spirituality. A lot of work, um, a lot of classes on finding purpose and, you know, just it runs the entire gamut. Relationships, you name it, there's probably something here that happens on it. Um, And then we also do community events. And when I say community, I mean community within the She Hive. So it's really anything that will help women become more empowered and connect with other women is what we try here. And so it looks a different, a million different ways. It is a business. It is not a nonprofit. Um, I legally own the place, but nobody, like it is a community effort to actually run the Sheehive. Nobody's paid to run it. Um, so there are 18 of us that are on a team together, known as the key holders that um, take care of the operations day to day, visioning everything, making sure that it runs and goes, and probably about 12 different women that deliver different classes here. So you have office spaces here. We do have office space. It's 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 mostly key holders that actually work out of here that are running their business out of here. Okay. It's not necessarily a co-working space. Okay. Yeah, although there's a group of us that do co-work out of here together. So I'm fascinated as to why you took this on. This isn't an easy endeavor. No. And I know you have a strong background in coaching. Mm-hmm. So was this more of a creative outlet to assist women through coaching, but all through, through life coaching as well? Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, the She Hive is a very selfish endeavor. That's why I work so hard at it. It's actually fulfilling an unmet need that I had. I, um, years ago, went to grad school, and I went to grad school strictly for achievement. I wanted to become, I was working in a nonprofit, so I was at United Way. I had been there 16 years. I knew if I wanted to advance into the leadership, into the C-suite, the only way to do that was I had to have a master's degree. So I went to school um, for organizational development. The school I went to had research-based theory that the way you change organizations is you actually help employees self-actualize, right? leaders self-actualize. And so we had to get certified in coaching as part of this organizational development master's program. 
And, you know, I did it because it was required of me in the program, but, and I, like, I had no desire to coach when I went in, in, into school. But through the program, what I came to realize was it was something I had always been doing. And now I actually had the theory behind what I was doing. So there was a lot of instinct and, you know, and intuition with what I was doing. Now I actually understood the neuroscience and all the strategy that actually went behind helping people achieve change. So about halfway through grad school, it dawned on me, like, so first of all, one of the things in grad school is, particularly when you're studying in this area, is you have to, anything you're going to apply to somebody else, so any intervention, any assessment, you do on yourself first. And um, so I was going through this whole thing, it's called intentional change theory, what is your ideal life, who are you really, what's the plan to go between the two? And um, when I started defining my ideal life, which I had done a couple different times in different coaching groups through work and professional development and everything, but when I was doing it at school, outside of the auspices of bosses and you know all of those things, what I came to realize is I worked at a really cool place for a really cool mission, but it wasn't my mission. What I really, really wanted was I have a knack, I say, for saying shit out loud first and creating cover and creating a space that it makes it so that other women can say what they need to say as well too without feeling ashamed or any of those things. And it, it just dawned on me, like, that's what I want. I want a place where we can all just say shit out loud first. You know? right. The other thing is in grad school, I was in school, particular, the, my cohort was about 40, 40 people and almost all of them were women. And I had never before been in the company, like I worked with smart people at United Way, like some of the smartest people I've ever been around. But they were like book smart. And um, this was the first time I had been in the company of women that were not only book smart, but emotionally intelligent, like pushed each other in really wonderful ways. And they were brave and they were bold. And when school was get, was coming to an end, I did not want to lose that. And so mm. a, 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 a classmate of mine approached me. She was going to create a women's leadership weekend. And she said, we're going to get together at a spa and we're going to learn about all, you know, different facets of ourselves and you know, all this. And I'm like, I really like that idea. And she was on the East Coast. I'm like, do you mind if I try it in Detroit? And she's like, no, I don't mind if you try it in Detroit. And I'm like, as a matter of fact, I'm going to build an entire business based <laughs> on it, you know. And so the Shehai started formulating in my head. It was this idea of it's um, a place, you know, there's different levels. I like legitimately had a, a, a visual representation of my head. It was a Victorian home, three stories. First story, we're going to be all these one-on-one conversations. So classes and co-working and all of this stuff. Second story, or I mean, sorry, group conversations. Second story was going to be one-on-one. So with your therapist and with your coach. And then the top story was going to be all those internal conversations that are so important to our wellness. So stuff like mindfulness and meditation and yoga. And I legitimately was trying to build a place that I wanted to go to every single day. A place with badass, bold, brave, smart women where I could also get a massage and yoga. Yeah, <laughs> that was really what I wanted. Awesome. Covering all angles. Exactly, right? Like I, like, But I could visualize myself walking into this place every single day. And um, with the permission of my classmate, Barbara, who had had the original idea that I expanded upon, started building out the Shehive. The cool thing was um, the CEO I was working for at the time at United Way was very visionary. And when I told him about this idea, he's like, test it out here. We were 80% women at the time. And so he actually let, let me start testing some of it out there first. Because um, I was within, you know, I was doing professional development within, within um, my role there. And so I tested it out for a little while. And then he, um, he left. He retired finally and went and actually started another um, nonprofit of his own. 
And uh, the next CEO that came in thought it was voodoo. <laughs> so, so I was I left there after 16 years as much running away from something as it was running to something. So I quit in June of, well, two and a half years ago, I guess mm. it is now. And had the she hive in my head that this is what I, you know, I, would, I was going to try. But I just quit my job and I wasn't going to buy a house, <laughs> you know. Right. And so I went to my former CEO who, who still serves as a mentor. And I'm like, I, I still got the dream in my head. What do I do with it? And yeah, I wanted to note to the listeners that we're not in a Victorian house, but in a giant warehouse. Yeah, we are in a giant <laughs> warehouse, right? And I, you know, so I went and talked to him. The first thing is he refused to talk to me about the Sheehive until I came back with a prototype. And so he's very much into human-centered design and iterative process and experimentation. And and um, he's like, you have to come to me with a prototype, and then I'll assist. And so I was actually going to build out a dollhouse, but what I did instead is I bought a $2 notebook, and I'd sketch the Sheehive out overnight, like room by room. And, like, I do not sketch well. It's stick figures, you know? Mm-hmm. But I got really excited. Like, this is what this room is, and this is what happens in this room, and, you know. This is Janice walking in the exactly. door. Exactly. <laughs> and this is the back porch where we drink wine and dance on the railing at 5 o'clock on Friday. Right. Little yeah. did I know it would happen anytime we wanted it to, yeah. you know. So I took I took the prototype to him and his business partner over at this human-centered design place that, that they now have called Sevilla. And they sat down with me and they gave me feedback, you know, and just some really valuable stuff. And, um, and then Mike said, you know, but I still had stuck in my head, like, I can't buy the three-story Victorian house, you know? Like, I, got, I just have to worry about paying my own mortgage now that I have no income. And he's like, go test a room for 100 days. And all of a sudden, it was it was doable. I'm like, well, I can do anything for 100 days. And so I decided I was going to find a short-term lease and just test, run the, you know, proof of concept for 100 days. And so that's how it all came to be. I mean, there was a lot more. Then I found a partner and, you know set up the legal entity and, you know, did the business plan and, you know, did a hundred days worth of programming. And literally we just tested it for a hundred days and the test has been going now for two and a half years. <laughs> I find it interesting. So to give listeners a little insight, we have a working relationship. Yeah. So I have um, a space here, yeah. one of the shared spaces and I'm a key holder as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I find it fascinating because you mentioned a minute ago emotional intelligence and that is honored here very much so. Uh, but uh, it's really honored almost over everything yes. is emotional intelligence. And what the listeners won't know about you is you're an empath. Yeah. So how does that affect you running the Sheehive? Because it's, it's a business, but it's not a business. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. It's a business, but it's personal. All business is personal, by right. the way. It's, you know, it is, you know, my work is to draw um, words out of women, which is funny that I'm having work, I'm having a hard time finding <laughs> words to say that. But. You've said a lot of words probably. You've taught classes, <laughs> yeah. you've done a lot. Yeah, you know, we're on what, like hour seven of talking to people here today. But what does it mean as an empath? Like I am having the same conversation with women over and over and over again about I shouldn't, I can't, I won't. Right. And sometimes it gets really, really hard because I wear that too. Like, you know, it's not as an empath, it's, you know, not that I just feel what you feel, but I wear your feelings as my own sometimes, too. I've had to do a lot of work to learn how not to, like, to distinguish between what's mine and what belongs to somebody else in the room. It's hard for women in general, actually. It, yeah, it's really hard. And, you know, even as, because outside of the she have so, you know, I still um, consult with organizations doing organizational development. And even in those instances, 
nobody ever calls an organizational development consultant in when things are going well, which I wish you would, one of you, please call me in when it's going well (laughs) so we can make sure that it stays well. But they always call me in when it's a shit show, right? And so I walk into these workplaces, including the one that the contract I'm working on right now, where it's just like the mood, like everybody's dauber is down, the mood is horrendous, or, you know, like there's just strife and there's, you know, or sometimes like legitimate toxicity. Right. And so it's really hard to as an empath to walk into those areas. Like I find myself leaving client sites sometimes or leaving the she hut and crying and being like, Why am I crying? I was okay. You know, right. and all of a sudden realizing, Oh, I just took on a bunch of pain that didn't belong to me. Right. right. And so I've had to really learn how to distinguish what's theirs, what's mine. So, you know, there's just some things you have to do to know yourself, to be intelligent about yourself and protect yourself in a space like this. And I'm going to be honest, I spent a lot of time in therapy (laughs) because, you know, you're taking on a lot of people's stuff all the time. Now, on the upside, there's payoff, right? right? Because I see breakthroughs happen in here all the time that like today, so... On you know this particular day, I had two different. I have two um, cohorts that are going through a six-month coaching program together, and today was the day that I had the morning and the afternoon session together. And to see people like light bulbs click, or somebody going like, "Oh my God, I don't have to do that anymore." What somebody told me I had to do for my whole life, or just coming to these realizations like the means justify the end, but my end goal has changed, so I need to change my means, or you know, like when people get something like it's worth it. It's just so worth it. And it's interesting to me because I, I have a feeling getting to know you more and, and getting more familiar with the space that you created the space that you've always needed. Yeah, it was. Like I said, self-fulfilling first and foremost. The group that I had today, they're going through a workbook and one of the worksheets in the workbook is 27 things I want to do before I die. There's actually a reason why it's 27 things. I don't know why I didn't write the workbook, but... <laughs> Um, You're like, I didn't read that part either. Yeah, exactly. No. no, actually, I know the guy who wrote the workbook, and he told us that there was a reason there was 27 things, but he forgot to ever tell us why it was 27. He so, forgot. Yeah, he forgot. So now there's probably no reason You'll whatsoever. see it in the next book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. By the next one. And so um, I did this workbook in 2015, and so I have my answers in this, right? And so actually, like, reading through today... They're sharing theirs, and I, you know, I'm sharing mine, and I'm like, oh, it's amazing how much of it has changed. But, but what hasn't changed is there was three things in there. I want to um, develop a, a place where a close knit. Um, I can't remember, but it was all about like close knit, brave women, great conversations, and I'm like, wow, I actually created that. That's what the she hive is. And when I was doing that, like I said, this was in my master's program. I was doing it. First and foremost, thinking I was going to become a vice president at United Way. But really what I was doing in developing there was the idea for this, yeah. this place. So one of the principles that, um, that you abide by here is, is uh, you don't fix unless invited. Yep. And, and you know, we discuss all the time, just as friends here, that why people, why you try to fix is, is one of those is like, it's just you, you're taking on their pain, it's too uncomfortable for you. Yeah. And so it's very interesting because I, I am a fixer. And I've been practicing really hard to not do that. And, but the interesting thing is some of my friends are saying, why aren't, basically, why aren't you fixing? Mm-hmm. You know, because that is the, that's the relationship you set up. Now I have to figure out that balance with friends of, like, how much is actually fixing mm-hmm. and how much is just you giving yeah. advice, like, you know, just pragmatic advice about them bringing something to you. Yeah. And so figuring out the relational things of, like, some people are coming to me because they want that mm-hmm. and some people don't want that. And I've been giving everyone the same thing. Exactly, you know? <laughs> right? Yeah, so those people have invited you in. They want, yeah. your, they want your fixing, right? 
Um, but I love the language. You yeah. place language around like you have to ask permission yeah. to fix. And then you have to be okay with the person saying, I don't want you to fix it. Mm-hmm. And I get your feelings hurt. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you, it wasn't one. Of, so we had one rule when the she hive opened, and the rule was um, there is no should. Right. So should is somebody else's expectations upon your shoulders. If you hear the wood should question, is it something I need to do? Is it something I must do? Or is it something I believe that somebody else told me I have to do? In the do not fix unless invited came about one of the very early classes, um, a friend of mine um, or an acquaintance, I should say, who was a little bit younger came in and we asked for feedback at the end of every single event we do here. And so we sent out surveys, you know, because feedback matters. We want to make sure that we're creating value always. And her feedback was, it was really great, but I'm probably not coming back because everybody kept telling me what to do. I didn't come there for people to tell me what to do. I came there to discover things about myself. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, you're right. It's exactly what mm-hmm. we do to each other all the time. And I violate the rule 20 times a day, you know, or 200 times a I day. I love the intentionality, though. Yeah. I violate it all the time, but I catch myself a lot. Like, you have to stop. Like, am I giving you my opinion because I care? You know, or am I giving you the opinion because I see you're in pain and seeing you in pain means I'm in pain and let's stop this shit. I don't want to be in pain, so let's fix you, you know. But then it also says to the other person, you're broken, right? Or like sometimes it became, and we've discussed this, um, it became most apparent to me recently with the Brett Kavanaugh stuff. Like Mm -hmm. the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation triggered me, and I know that that's a word to jure, you know, or, you know, like Mm. a trendy thing, but it triggered me. It truly did. Yeah. Right. It triggered me in ways I was completely unexpected. It flattened me and put me on my ass for like two weeks. And, um, And in particular, because some family dynamic got mixed up into it too. So I had been, you know, sexually molested as a young child. I had never actually spent a lot of time, um, talking about it with my parents like my mother was aware I had never talked to my father about it and you know the Kavanaugh thing's going on and it's just bringing up all of these emotions like this like like oh I was I was so angry I I honestly felt like I could probably start a fire just with like the fire burning in my belly and um my dad who will probably never listen to this podcast thank god (laughs) had put something on Facebook that said Seems to me like an awful lot of Democratic women are getting uh, molested. Maybe they should start carrying guns. And my molester was his father. And I'm like, I was eight, and it was your father. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And you asked. You, you, yeah, <laughs> you know? And so we had to have a really uncomfortable conversation. But And, and we, did, well, we didn't have to. I decided I wanted to have the uncomfortable conversation. So him and I actually did talk about it, and we you know, came to some pretty good space like I know you don't want to hurt me I know we have differing opinions you know all that kind of stuff but it was so hard and I came in here and I was sitting in a group and there's very few groups that I allow myself to participate in here because I usually facilitate or lead but one of them is the mastermind groups that Sonia and I are in together and it happened to be a masterminds group where we talk about business but personal of course no difference between personal and business right it always gets mixed in together and I asked I said can I just have 10 minutes of floor time to talk about this. I need to talk about this. I was just, you know, so angry and so hurt and so mixed up. And I just needed to get the words out and nobody was listening. And so I said, I need 10 minutes. Can I just put it out? They're like, yeah, do it, do it. And so I started talking about like what's going on. And within two minutes, people were talking over me, the most well-meaning people. Oh, we just have to look for the silver linings or this is what I did. And, you know, and finally, like, I just, I got so mad and I just shut down. I was so like hurt and angry and I'm like, this is what the do not fix unless invited is all about. Like, 
I know this is painful for you, but God, let me have my moment to just express myself. And I think of how many times we shut each other down well-meaning, and a lot of times not well-meaning, but just the most well-meaning. These are women I know care deeply about me and I know have the best intentions, but the discomfort was so, like, nobody could just let it sit. Yeah. Like, and then even, like, we have an operations team here, so all volunteer, but an operations team that meets after that. And so, like, I was telling them, you know, like, okay, those people can't listen to me, but you will surely listen to me. So I started, like, you know, I got to talk about this. And and right away, they're like, do you need a rock to hold on to? Like, because we have this whole, like, you know, we have some, you know, do you need a special oil? Do you need, I don't know, whatever. I'm like, no, I just want to feel. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be fixed. I just want to feel. Like, actually, that's what's probably going to help fix all of this is let me feel. And we cheat each other. Like, we don't. We cheat ourselves all the time, and then we do it to each other, but we don't allow ourselves to feel. We shut feeling down, right? An unprocessed emotion in the body is a cancer, and we do it all the time. Like, I, I'm 48. This happened to me 40 years ago, and this is the first time I have really felt it. Hmm. And I'm like, God, let me through this. Let me actually experience this. It's uncomfortable for me, too, I promise. Yeah. You know? But just let me Not enjoying this. this. Not enjoying this. Yeah. Don't want to do it, but... I got to get, you know, you got to feel to get to the other side and like, let me do it. And whew, yeah, so we do it to each other all. I do, like I said, I, when I share that rule, like do not fix unless invited. I'm like, I know I'm going to violate that. Call me on it too. Right. Cause we just, we've been trained for so many years, especially as women to be caretakers of each other. Not only caretakers, but I think we've been trained to make everything okay. Yeah. Everyone needs to be comfortable. Yeah. Right, Jen? I mean... Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I have gotten to this point where I've taken on this peacemaking mission, in a sense, in anti-racism work, and I am very, very aware of people's discomfort. I invite it. I bring it on. I open it up. And so, like, when I open up my other podcast, a lot of times I'm tempted to jokingly say, like, this is the podcast dedicated to making you all uncomfortable. (laughs) You know, so I've definitely been exercising this concept of just being okay in discomfort because if we're not okay in discomfort we will not heal things Mm -hmm. right because we're constantly trying to cover it up and it's interesting that you talk about the Kavanaugh thing because I had this really similar thing where I was triggered from a past assault and my dad thank god he's not on like social media right but he has no idea about my life in so many ways, in social media, in my writing, and yes. my work, and all of this. But I had a conversation with him, and he is aware of my past. And it was unbelievable, because I was sitting on the phone with him, and I was just talking to him, and I'm like, I can't... I felt almost like a level of assault all over again. Yeah. You know, and, and I couldn't process it. And I actually didn't. You know, like I wrote an article for Blunt Moms. I was able to sort of go through a catharsis in that sense. But I I told my husband, and I mean, we talk about everything. But honestly, I was like, I can't even talk about this. I had a conversation with my dad. Kavanaugh triggered. That was like all I could say to him. So it's really amazing to, to hear you say this and just be like, oh my gosh, I totally relate. And then if I think about it, it sounds like you had this amazing conversation with your dad where you kind of followed up Mm -hmm. I haven't even had the ability to like go to him and do that yeah and I don't know if I want to but (laughs) but anyway but it's interesting too because I was thinking I had a girlfriend contact me 
she sent me a message about just she's just being really honest about struggles with her marriage and she's a new mom and stuff and I took time and I just thought about it and I responded to her with some advice but I said I don't want to come across like I'm giving like fixing advice but I've been here and I think it might help you to feel like you're not alone in this you know but mm-hmm. I was really aware of that so that's the magic is you're not alone. So that's where we have to go into experience sharing. So I'm not giving you advice to fix you, but do you want to hear what my experience has been? Yes. And um, so once we can frame it as that way, like I'm not telling you what to do. I just want to share what my experience and what worked for me. Right. It's a gift to you if you want it. And it's a gift to you if you don't want it. Yet. Exactly. I'm always like, take it or leave it. You yeah. will not offend me in the least if you think I'm full of crap. Yeah. You know, but like, here's where I've been. Mm-hmm. Maybe this will make you feel a little bit better. And if you want advice, feel free to ask me because I love doling it out. But I want to read this because, yeah. you know, like, Sonia has the pleasure of working here and knowing you guys and everything. But I love this statement here. It says, at the Sheehive, we don't do should, only must. We don't fix unless we are invited. We are practicing, not perfecting. We don't yuck on other people's yum. We step up or step back or both. We share lessons, not secrets. Like, I love those statements. Yeah, I was saying, it's, it's working in practice because the other thing, so <clears throat> you're not alone. I know there, there's lots of people that were triggered by the whole Brett Kavanaugh thing. Mm-hmm. I was as well. And so I'm 47, and it took me until I was 47 to, you know, to confess to my family abused by a family member. Yes. But it was, it was large because of here. Yeah. That is one thing that struck me so much here. So a lot of the key holders work out. Not a lot, but a group of the key holders work out of here. And they're around a lot. So, you know. By the way, Ursula, I tried not to cry. I know, right? Like, you cry, I cry. That's how it goes. Nobody ever cries alone in the Sheehive. People cry every day in the Sheehive. Yeah, there's a sign on the wall in the other room that says, um, somebody always cries at the Sheehive, and it's usually me. (laughs) That's awesome. And I, I probably cry seven times today just because, you know, we've been doing some heavy work in here today um what floored me when i finally was able to sit and talk with you know the team the, the team here the you know the ones that i know really well we were sitting down and there was five of us mm-hmm. four of us had been assaulted by a family member mm-hmm. i was blown away like to me that is an extreme like to me my story is an extreme and and i don't even remember the majority of my story as most of us don't and um, or a lot of us don't. And to hear so many other women in here share that same experience, God, it was, it was shadow. I mean, like yeah. it was earth shattering for me. Like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one. And like, I, I know I'm not the only one, but. Right. And I, I mean, I wrote about this because people were coming out of the woodwork. Yeah. Everybody started talking about this. And it was actually a male friend of mine who came forward to talk about a babysitter when he was like eight years Mm -hmm. old or something and the way that the Kavanaugh trial was triggering him yes and and it was interesting because the piece that I wrote I did it for him like in my mind Mm -hmm. I was like I can finally like it's like I couldn't do it for myself but Mm -hmm. I could do it for him but it was so amazing because it wasn't just for him but I stood in a room with women on one day and three of four of us had been assaulted and then later that day, I was in a room with five or six women, F- like four out of five or five out of six of us had been assaulted. The other woman, I don't know mm-hmm. because we didn't talk about it, but I happen to know very personally 
about some of these people. And it's that same experience where it's like, okay, wait a second. People aren't talking, you know, and you start well, talking. And yeah, like, wow. it, yeah, and, and that, that's the thing is there's all this shame assigned to it. Like you had some culpability in it. Yeah. And even if you didn't, you're now damaged forever. Mm-hmm. You're not, you're not whole. Don't talk about it. Don't, don't tell your, your significant other or your spouse about it because you, you're damaged goods. Yeah. And, uh, but it is, and that's tying it in to, to the she hive and to podcasts like this. That's the point of these things in some larger ways is, is saying you're not alone. Like if you're listening to this, there's space for you to, whenever you're ready and it may be never to, mm-hmm. to confess your truth, no matter how yeah unpleasant it is. Exactly. You know, and it was amazing. So this happened when I was so young. I don't remember the majority. I I remember snippets, which is very common. I know now, with um, child, you know, childhood sexual abuse. But so I never talked about it because I couldn't give you a complete picture of what. It, so I questioned my own, you know, recollection all the time. And everyone will question it too. Exactly. Did right? it really happen? Do you think that it really the happened? The first therapist I ever talked to about this, she asked me point blank, "Who was there to verify?" Because, you know, you off, this often happens in the presence of others, right? Right, right. It's usually, it's usually a activity that happens you like know? That, yeah. And literally at the time, the only other two people in the house are now dead, you know, mm. as is, you know, my grandfather. And um, and I'm like, everybody's dead. Like, nobody can verify what I'm telling you. And she's like, oh, well, then. Wow. And that was it. And I, hope I, she, I hope she went into a different line of work she after did, that. She, she actually did. <laughs> and so yeah, it's no longer practicing and she's now a politician (laughs) and um and so I remember the like I didn't even bring it up so the therapist that I have now I've been seeing for eight years and um and I didn't bring it up with her for the first two years because it didn't seem relevant (laughs) and then like when I finally brought and I'm sure she suspected because I have all of the signs of somebody that has been through that like I'm sure she knew what was going on just I had to bring it up in my own time Mm -hmm. and when I finally brought it up, she's like, you don't think this was important? And I'm like, I don't remember enough to actually be able to say it legitimately happened. She's like, you remember enough. What your brain has done has actually protected you mm-hmm. from actually remembering all of the stored, dear, you know, sorted details. And yeah, it, so yeah, I don't, I've never talked about it out loud because still there's this kind of shame of like, I don't remember enough detail or, you know, or somebody had it worse or, you know, I, just all this crap. And so actually finally saying it out loud here for the first time and actually then calling my father and saying, by the way, you know, like, I'm like, I have to tell you, stop saying that because I've been assaulted and him saying, I know. And I don't know what he actually knows. I have a feeling he was probably just trying to stop the conversation, but I'm like, dude, permission granted. (laughs) Like now I'm going to talk. I'm really going to talk. And so it just, it empowered in so many ways. It empowers too, to know, like, this is the thing, um, I think we all have said to the effect that I I can really only speak for myself in this is that I was really surprised when I finally came clean, you know, I sort of talked all about this one. I didn't die because I really thought that I would. I really thought if I said something about it, I would die. It's this irrational, like horrible thing. Like it's the most horrible thing that's ever happened to you. And you don't want to ever talk about it again. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that was amazing to me is how, the people you love rise up to meet you in it. Yeah. That's a, one of the things we do. So um, when we started the She Hive, there was um, three of us. So Amanda, Andrea, and I. And um, 
um, I bought Andrea. So Andrea was my actual legal partner, and Amanda was the one that made it all happen. And I bought Andrea out quite some time ago, and Amanda's sick, so we don't get to see her very often. But she's this brilliant, brilliant community organizer. And she developed a um, orientation for us and that we still do today. And one of the things that we do at orientation is we invite people to first share their known identities. So what is it that you would know about me just from looking at me? You know, that I'm blonde, that mm. I'm, you know, I don't know, whatever. Shy. Shy. Yeah, I'm shy. <laughs> like, you know, spending two minutes in my presence, you would know some things about yes. me. Yes. And then we invite women to share your hidden identities, things people don't know about you. And you write it down on a card and, you know, and then somebody takes it into the other room and they put it on a poster board. And we've had, we've been doing this every month for two years. And so we have the poster board with all the hidden identities on it. Mm. And it is amazing to me when we pull, you know, so here's the known identities. I wear glasses, I'm blonde, I'm, you know, whatever. And then here's, are the, you know, those are the known visible. And then here's the hidden identities, you know. I'm a sexual abuse survivor, I'm going through a divorce, I'm depressed. I'm a Wiccan, I'm a, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a, you know, it's not all bad. It's, mm-hmm. you know, also things that, and when we ask, like, what do you see in the difference between the two? Everybody always goes to those visible ones, like, that's the person I want to know. Mm-hmm. Or I thought I was the only one, mm-hmm. you know. And always I'm like, is there something on here that you put on here you thought you were the only one? And they're always like, yep. I mean, like, it happens all the time. And there's, like, you know, some amazing stuff that goes that goes on there. And I think, like, when we can admit those pieces of us out loud, those are the pieces that make this interesting. Right. My blonde hair, as beautiful as it is, <laughs> you know, isn't the, it is the least interesting thing about me, or the fact that I'm overweight, least interesting part about me, right? Yeah. What is really interesting is all of this good, juicy stuff inside of me that I've been told to keep hidden, or right. I was trying to keep hidden, that actually is the best parts of me. That's what I hope this place does for people. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, and it is the, I was watching, a, I don't even know who, what it was now, I was watching an interview um, about somebody famous, and they're really, really successful at entertainment, they do, they do and they said, like, um, I was encouraged constantly to suppress my weird, the mm-hmm. things that were different and weird, and, and I make, a, you know, a multi-million dollar living off this weirdness, Yeah, and embrace it, and I, just, I find that really interesting, and it is... I think why people gravitate towards the arts is your, your weirdness is embraced. So as a musician, I can, you know, I'm a musician and I can kind of be anything I want. There's an there's a extreme side to that where I think people hide mental illness in, in artistry and they say, oh, well, they're just dark and they're just that. And, yeah. they're just, and if you want to look at that, look at all these successful people that have committed suicide. Yeah. It's so it is it is a, a touch play, but yeah, I agree that the weirdness is where all the good stuff is because that's the individuality and that's that's your essence. Yes, that's right. your why. That's your yeah. We spend so much time trying to live up to be like you know a magazine or a whatever, right? That's done. We spend all our time being a should. Yeah, being a should, right? That should is done. There's nothing more that that can contribute to this world. Like somebody else got that blade down that, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. And and like the stuff that I have, nobody else has it. You know, there's just something unique about me and unique about you and mm-hmm. you that nobody else has. That's what we need to be bringing into this world. That's the fun stuff. Like, my yeah. favorite stuff about both of you, and I have, you know, relationships with both of you, 
is that stuff. It's like, when we get past all the surface, mm-hmm. you get into the nitty gritty. And I don't even care if it's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. That's the stuff I want to know. Yeah. It's the funnest. It's the most identifiable. And again, it gets down to your essence. And, and we're having real relationships, which yeah. I don't have. And we, you know, we, the, both of us individually have talked about, like, that is literally the only thing in life that people are, are aiming for is to be seen. Yes. To be seen is to be loved. And to be loved is to be known. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it's a real, it's a real basic. And yet we're taught, hide everything yeah. about yourself. <laughs> so how will I ever be seen and known and loved if I have to hide everything that actually matters about me? Yeah, that makes you you. Yeah, that makes me me. Yeah. So sort of going off a little segue here, um, Ursula is a really, um, I, I've never met anyone that reads as much as you do. I listen, <laughs> actually. But, but yeah. you do. That still counts. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what are two of your, some of your, two, a couple of your favorite books from this year? From this year, um, The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath blew me away. And so it's all about how um, we can, um, you know, so we grow up with all of these defining moments, like, you know, uh, you know, like birthdays and graduations and weddings and, you know, bat mitzvahs and all of these things. And then you become an adult and we're like, and there you go. You know? And so how it is that you, there's actually a formula to how you create a memorable defining moment. And so it was, you know, how we can do that to celebrate all sorts of different types of things. And, and I really loved thinking about it, particularly in the realm of goal setting, because we goal set on things that aren't tangible. I mean, they're tangible, but they, they're not emotionally tangible. So like when you're losing weight, 10 pounds, well, who the fuck knows what 10 pounds feels like? I've never mm. been 10 pounds lighter. You know? so, mm. Like I can't, but like, is there a moment that can capture that, that I can live? So I, you know, I had weight loss surgery at one point in time and I've never given a number by my surgeon because he was actually really smart. And, um, and so instead, I created these moments that I was going to hit, and it was like I'm going to cross my legs because that mattered to me. I had never been, you know, I hadn't been able to do that in a long time. I'm going to ride a Segway because there's a weight limit on it, and I want to be able to do, you know, that kind of stuff. And so it just, it was fascinating. I, I get fascinated by that kind of stuff. And and Chip and Dan Heath are also master communicators, so the book was really awesome. But as a coach, it really helped me like help my clients think of different ways to goal set. You know, like what is the defining moment? So like the the example they gave in the book is. You know, I'm I'm gonna learn how to play the fiddle, and so my you know my goal is to practice 15 minutes a day. Woo woo, you know. Or my goal is eventually to take my fiddle to Ireland and play an Irish jig in an Irish pub. Man, mm. that's something you can feel, right? Yes. Yeah. You know? cool. And so I loved that book. The other one, well, I, say the name of the book again. The Power Moments, right? Yeah. Sorry. And then I'm already on to the other book in my head. And then the other one, and I'm not a self help type of book because I think particularly most self help books are full of platitude, mm-hmm. and I hate right. it. Same. They're either platitude <laughs> or shaming. And so I, I, I find most self-help books, in quotation, air quotations, written by men, sorry, I'm sorry, not sorry, are about shaming. You should be, you should be, you should be. Do you think it's a platitude for Tony Robbins to say if you're in a bad mood to smile? Yes, exactly, right? That's literally a thing in, in, in um, one of his books. Is you, it, it will change the, your, the way your inside feels if you actually smile. Even if you force it, just smile. Oh, whatever, I'm going to live in his house one day. Um, <laughs> not with him. Um, okay. <laughs> You and Banana Hands. Yes. <laughs> banana hands. It's from it's from the movie Shallow Hell and oh. you meet somebody shakes his hand and he's like, Whoa, oh, banana hands. hands. Okay. <laughs> uh, the other one though, it, it is a self help book and it wasn't I call it the the platitude unicorn language. You know, like you know, authentic vulnerability, you know, like mm. things I mean like these things matter, but if all were like you need to be authentically vulnerable, 
thanks a fuck lot. Yeah. You know? like, thanks for nothing. Thanks for nothing. And so, but Tara Moore wrote a book called Playing Big, and it's all about helping women, um, you know, experience like pay attention or notice all the different ways that we diminish ourselves or our self worth. Mm. And not only, and it wasn't platitude. I mean, there was some beautiful language in it, but there was practical advice. And so, you know, this is the language you use to belittle yourself or it, or it had exercises. I need to plan, you know, I need meat. I need something and, um, action. action. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things that really, really struck me in this book was the concept of the inner mentor. The inner mentor was fascinating to me because you're just tapping into your subconscious Right, and kind of peeling away some of the layers to find out what tools mean the most to you, you know, what what values mean the most to you. And so I just love that book. And um, and actually, and for the new year, I'm developing a whole series here based upon all of the lessons that we can learn from that book because it's just, there was action, right? Mm-hmm. There was, you know, like, I remember, <laughs> let's not get sued, but anyway, there was one book, <laughs> You Are a Badass, that... It was the one time our book club had 20 people in it here. Mm. And everybody's like, this is wonderful and this is great and whatever. I'm like, it's platitude bullshit. Now, mm. it's beautiful platitude, mm. but there is nothing in here that tells me how to actually achieve any of these things. Like, you should be a badass. And, yeah, mm-hmm. yes, how? You know? And books like that fall short to me because they just leave you feeling full of shame because I don't know how to get there where you're telling me I need to be. You can do it. I'm yeah. sure I can, but can I get a <laughs> yeah. can I get a vowel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um or just hearing somebody else's story and not how they got to it. Mm-hmm. Right. So so yeah, playing big just really was a was a good one for me. And like I said, I don't mm-hmm. it's so funny. We do a book club here once a month and I always, almost always, everybody else loves the book and I hate it. <laughs> for those very reasons like I expect a lot and yeah. so the power of moments in playing big were two that really really I think delivered this year let's go yeah awesome so since you were mentioning designing this program for the spring and whatever yeah. what is the future of the she like what does the future <laughs> look like for the she you know so interesting you know I, I'm figuring that out right now quite frankly because so quickly achieved as much as I had been able to envision. That's awesome. And, but also at the same time, it leaves you floating kind of in the ether, you know, because like, I don't know what's next because I've never been there before. And I don't know, I still haven't found the person that's going to help me. Like you always need somebody that's been a little bit further ahead to guide you, Mm -hmm. right? And this is so radically different from what I know of anything else. Like who guides, (laughs) you know, like I'm still kind of searching for that. Like what could be next? That's why I love having the key holder team together. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a collective guidance because I don't know anybody that's going to lead us to what the next iteration of the Sheehive is because I, 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 you know, it's not like we're making a McDonald's here. Yeah. You know? um, so for right now, it really, like, I love, we've been prototyping this, this key holder. So these are paid members that are actually collectively responsible for running the Sheehive and driving the vision. And so... We've been doing, um, you know, small, short, six-month um, cohorts as a as a test, and this is the first time this group is committed to the long haul. So I can't wait to see what it looks like when that group is long-term together, right? Because it's been coming and going. Yeah. Because there's some really cool things I do think are actually happening here. Well, there's always cool things happening here. So the key holders is something I'm definitely like how this group 
grows and takes on more responsibility and ownership of this place. We're talking about can we develop a new collective ownership model that hasn't existed before? You know, so we're we're looking at some of those things. The other thing I'm really excited about just personally is this work I has always in my mind been destined for corporate America. My one of my big goals besides empowering women is to make workplaces that do not suck. And most workplaces suck badly. And they don't have to. Like actually everything that makes work not suck also makes you more productive and is actually a return on investment for your your workplace. And look look your to Europe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You know, look to all the millions yeah. of examples that are yeah. out there. And um, and had I been on the east or west coast, the work that I'm doing here in the Sheehive would have actually flown within corporate America on the east or west coast, no problem whatsoever. Like there's actually roles for people who do what I do out there, you know. And um, but we don't have here in the Midwest. We don't have coaches in in the workplace, and and we don't talk about wellness in the workplace. And we, I mean, we talk about wellness like in make sure that my insurance rates stay down. But we don't talk a lot about mindfulness, and we're having a really hard time. Like we tell people, like leave your you know your personal life at the door as if you could, right. you know. And and so what I'm most excited about is when it, we're starting to see is that some of the Sheehive. Um, work is starting to extend, extend into corporate America. We have a couple um, corporate entities that actually bring their groups here now. And so Plant Moran, for instance, their Women's Leadership Initiative, they um, are going through a six-month co- coaching pilot in the Sheehive right now. That's amazing. And uh, I mean, it's a little bit different when you're here with your corporate peers as it is if you just come in as an individual. Um, there's a little, like, you know, sometimes I put my ear over the HR director's ear, you know, hand, or my hands over her ears, or, you know, but only once, actually. But um, but I'm excited to see a couple different employers start to step up and be like, we believe our people need to be whole people, right? And that we actually play a part in that. And The place where you're at more than home? Yeah, the place where you're at. Yeah, you know. <laughs> One of the things, like the frame of references that I've used for the Sheehive, if you ever go to the Motown Museum, Barry Gordy didn't actually just make musicians. Barry Gordy made sure that his musicians learned how to groom themselves and learned how to dance and learned how to perform and speak. And he taught them finance, though probably not as well as he could have. You know? But like, he treated them like whole people. He gave them all sorts of resources so they weren't just a one thing. right? And I think about that like... We can help each other, and, and, and our employer, who has resource and who we give so much to, can actually do that for us as well, too. So I'm just really excited about how some of this work is kind of starting to seep in into that, and I want to see more and more what we can do with corporate entities. I'm just looking forward to this, this melding between what happens here that we believe to be very, very personal and how we can actually start incorporating some of that. Not all of it maybe is appropriate, but some of it into corporate America. So... I'm super excited about that. That's awesome. So how can people find out more about the Sheehive? Um, so easiest thing, come to an orientation. We do one every single month, um, except for actually this month. <laughs> so like November and December, we don't do them just because every we get, we get pretty slow at the end of the year, as is expected. Um, but we will be having an open house January. It's the second Sunday in January, whatever that is. I think it's the 13th. Um, our website is thesheehive.com. Um, and so all of our classes and events are on their Facebook page. It's uh, Sheehive DET. Um, so all of our events are on there. So really the best thing to do is just in all the classes pretty much are a la carte. And so, um, like I said, we do have memberships, but that's actually for the leadership team, our, our members. Um, everybody else, you just pay for the classes. 
as, as you desire. And we have a lot of one-offs. You know, we do you know, some fun stuff like crafting and cocktails or, you know, something of that sort. The book Our, club, book, writer's club. Yeah, we have a writer's club. So they, you have some online courses that yeah. you never even have to come in for. Exactly, yeah. And actually, we're getting ready to add um, more. One of our key holders moved to Florida. And so she's actually going to start Kristen. doing some. Yeah, she's going to start doing some more classes around um, health awesome. and wellness um, via our online classroom. And so dynamo on that. That's wonderful. Yeah, she is. She's so awesome. I'm so excited that she's going to continue working with us. And um, yeah, so it is just come in. I think the open house is going to be a really good way. Like once you get into this space, it's a physical space. It is so cozy and so fun, you know, and. The key holders, so one, getting into the space just to feel the space, right? But then two, meeting the women that run this place. I have never been in the presence of more amazing, like everybody in the room you want to get to know better. Mm-hmm. And and it's it, we are a wide variety from, you know, entrepreneurs that own their own business, the therapists, stay-at-home moms. We now have a senator on our mm-hmm. key holder that just got newly elected this last week. And um, who is that? Rosemary Bear, <laughs> Senator-elect for Michigan District 12. You know, so we just run the gamut of, you know, we have people that, you know, specialize in relationship work and, you know, we have a career coach that's been, you know, worked with Michigan Works forever and has counseled thousands on how to find jobs and now does her work out of the she hive. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. For coming on the podcast and we uh, also wanted to just remind everyone that we actually record this at the She Hive every week. So um, just wanted to give another shout out to the lovely She Hive and Ursula. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to What Won't We Say, recorded at the She Hive in Ferndale, Michigan. 